Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. The Premier League is back. Watch every live game for the rest of the season on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. I'm prepared to end it my can. Well, do, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Well now, football show, very say Damien Delaney is with us for the evening. Hello. Hey Joe, how are you? I'm told you have five aside on the horizon this evening. Um, over thirty fives. Over thirty fives? Oh no. Oh no. Is that uh, full size pitch over thirty fives or, or oh, yeah. Astro? Yeah, full yeah, full size pitch. Oh. Um no slight tackling. Um, but I feel even my, my, my days are coming to an end at that, if I'm being honest. You know, I'm being slowly moved more out of the way and left back soon. <laughs> Delaney's rule is no slide tackling and most importantly, not the face. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So you're playing centre half still? Ah, uh, yeah, I just kind of float around, to be honest. With you. It's more enjoyment, you know. That, that was one thing I was worried about, that it was going to be like a bit too competitive because, you know, there might be a lot of ex-players still think they're whatever but it's not man it's it's really really fun it's friendly you know very very rarely anything happens only accidental really clashes and things like that so um but it's enjoyable and it's, it's just a good way during the winter just to get a, a sweat on once a week rather than going to a gym or going on a bike or doing whatever you want to do so um it, 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 it's quite fun nice is it of a good standard whereby possession can be maintained or is this a pinball machine I think it's hugely based, in my interpretation on it, on it's over 35s. Whoever the team close to 35 years of age absolutely <laughs> wins because, um, you know, running is, is such an important part of, the, of, of every game of football. And if you've got a team of, you know, 40 plus guys, obviously we can't move or run. And, um, you know, some guys are still playing junior football or they might have just come out of playing senior, one senior league or whatever it might be. And you can tell they're just more fit, more mobile. And um, that is usually the deciding factor. Yeah. Skill very, very rarely plays into it. Wow. Fitness and mobility trumps quality. Absolutely, yeah. Um, um, actually, just, you know what I saw the other day watching the um, the Crystal Palace game? Just off topic, really. Um, they're last in running stats. Did you not see it when they played the Spurs game um, on Tuesday night? Um, which I was like, I, I was, I was, t- I was taken away, taken, taken aback by it. Like I just couldn't understand. I was like, so they're twentieth out of twenty in distance covered, one hundred and one kilometers, which is, well, an abomination. If I'm being honest with you, for a club like Crystal Palace, um, that they're that they're there. Um, that I need to seriously like look into that and, and find out more. But it's incredible. I couldn't couldn't get over it. I was actually like stuff for words for a few minutes I had to digest it or process it and do you worry that's application as opposed to something tactical um well i think that's a bit that we need looking at but i mean ultimately like you know club at crystal palace you know they have to outrun opposition you just have to um you know now they've got some good results but you know you start putting that picture together and our results based on the day that everyone feels like they're up for it and then your star players because they have got some really really good technically gifted players but then when, you know, the technically gifted players can't seem to get it done, they've got nothing to, to fall back on. Um, and that's why they lost. I think the last three games, they lost to Forest, Fulham and Southampton. And I think Southampton have won a game in, in a calendar year at this stage. I mean, back going back to last year, I mean, they they're, they're, they're really are in the, in the doldrums and they beat them in the FA Cup during the week. 
And when that stat came up against Spurs, it got beat 4-0 at Spurs, like uh, at home to Spurs. And and then and, and you start filling in the blanks in that picture now as to why the way that is. And um, even at over 35's level, um, if you have a team that can't or won't run, mm. let's just be fair to us at over 35, we can't run. <laughs> Whereas I think with Palace just seem like they don't want to run. Um, but that would that would need investigating because 101 kilometres total team distance average for the year, um, as I said, ain't great, isn't great at all. No, very strange. Because you yeah. would say like a, 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 a quote-unquote lesser team in the Premier League, well, the one thing we can do is work harder than opposition. But yeah. traditionally even, to be fair, various Palace teams, your own included, mm. would have had that work rate and would have had that application. They would have made life very difficult for the opposition yes. and then a sprinkling of Zaha-like quality up top yes. and you get your results and that's our that's yes. our modus operandi. That's that's precisely it. And, and the, the other stat that came out um, that the, the commentary team put out was that I don't think Palace have beaten a, a, a top eight team um, this, I'd say, in, 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 since Patrick Vieira took over. Which just shows if you don't outwork these guys, if you can't or won't outwork these guys or don't outwork these guys, you've got no chance. Whereas I always felt that if you could match um, or outwork them or outrun them, um, you know, you might get them on a bad day and then you get a result. Um, and then I suppose obviously against the lesser teams, you know, teams that are in and around you, um, you know, bottom half table teams, if you can outwork them, you will get a lot of results, absolutely, or, or work extremely hard, make like difficult. Uh, when when you're out of possession and when you're in possession, you know, spring forward, lots of movement uh, to give players option. You know, some people think the hard work is just in possession or, or out of possession. It's both. You've got to be able to run with the ball when you have the ball as well um, to give people options, to chase lost causes, to run down a, a, a disappointing pass, to, to, to run down a goalkeeper. So you force them to kick it out of play and you get yourself a throw in, you know, kind of in the middle half of your half, so to speak. Um, as opposed to just going, I oh, know, I let them have three touches and sling it on the centre forward's head, and now we're back on the edge of the in our box and defending. So that type of running, I think, is is is, is crucially important. You're not going to get any plaudits for it. No one's going to care. Um, but that's the stuff I think that 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 gets you the results. Um, and because the have got a lot of technically very very good players, you know, the likes of Olise and Eze, they've signed, um, and obviously Wilfred is still there as well. Um, and then at the top end of the pitch, you've got um, Eduard. Um, so you've got a lot of technically very, very good players. But if they're not mm. applying themselves, I'm not just blaming them, but I think it's a, you know the team distance is down. Like I said, those stats would you need to. I'd love to get into those stats and have a, a dig down, break yeah. it down as an individual basis. Who's who is way behind because you can do a positional average for the Premier League as well. You know, so the average for a right back or a centre back or a midfield player. You know, somebody is letting. Um, that down, you know, just to put it into context, someone like Spurs um, or Liverpool even would easily be, um, I'd say, 115 kilometres a game. So if the opposition are doing 15k or more, more, that's incredible. What age are you now, by the way? 41. I can't run anymore. Can you not? Because I was yeah. going to ask you, so I'm uh, 37 and I'm flirting with some over 35s, a return a triumphant yeah. return before it's too late. <laughs> so look, I played a bit to a pretty good standard, you know, League of Ireland yeah. under 21 and Leinster Senior League and, and fancied myself a little bit, you know, I was, yeah. I was, I was okay. Uh, I went up to the pitch on my own in advance of maybe venturing towards actual over 35 <laughs> training just to run around a bit and definitely the mobility's not there and, uh, you know, running is difficult and uh, yeah. more difficult, all that stuff. But I had this shocking moment where... You know, growing up, I used to quite. David Beckham was not my favourite player growing up, so I used to love a little crossfielder. And so I, mm. I rolled the ball, and I went to just kick it as far as I could, mm. and it went nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Are you still able to kick the ball a long way? No, like, 
I had the, the exact same moment. Like the, literally, my first game that I played, I got the ball out of my feet, tried to hit a switch it, and just casually, just the same way I, 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 my mind worked. And I'd say it got about 40% of the way there. And I think the wind might have even affected it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that is a thing. That is a thing. Yeah. I mean, but then you, then you look at it, you go, well, fair enough. Like, because, you know, your leg muscles waste away. They get smaller. You're not as, um, you know, bouncy as what maybe you were when you're younger. Because when you're younger, your muscles are so supple and so, I suppose, flexible and, 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 and springy. As you get older, it's not. But... I'd recommend it. Like, I mean, I don't know what you do for working out and stuff, but, you know, going to the gym in the wintertime when the weather ain't great can get you down a little bit. It's boring. Um, yeah, it is. And I, I'm I was a bit, there I'm yesterday like, and I just thought to myself, yeah. oh, my God, a year of this. Yeah, yeah. Gym, I see, like, gym. But once the, the weather turns, I'll get back out on my road bike and, and I enjoy that and I look forward to that. But, um, you know, going out in this weather is, is not only uncomfortable, but it's, it's dangerous as well, you know, because the roads are obviously a bit wet and drivers are, you know, the light may not be great and stuff. So I kind of just thought to myself, look, I'll just put the bike away and, and, and this is a good way for me to fill something on a Monday night. And I run around for an hour and uh, get the heart rate going and um, I also feel better after it. Yeah. OK, very good. Good man. So uh, that's a bit of a tangent. The weekend that was story on the front pages of the uh, Sunday papers yesterday. So Joe Bernstein in the Daily Mail, for instance, Manchester United are going to enforce what they're calling the Ronaldo rule. Mm. Basically, they're going to limit first team salaries to a maximum of 200 grand a week. Mm. Obviously, from the club's perspective, that will save money. But certainly the reporting is a big part of it is that Eric Ten Hag wants to avoid a culture of dressing room jealousy. So, uh, for instance, you know, the likes of Harry Maguire, Bruno Fernandes, um, a host of the more recent signings they're all in that 180 to 200k bracket mm-hmm. the reporting is when David De Gea's contract is up the 375 a week contract he's going to be given a, a take it or leave it you're down to this uh, standard yeah. now um, your thoughts on this and, and, and the notion of, of a culture of dressing room jealousy when it comes to salaries like in your experience does everybody know what everybody's on in a, in a Premier League dressing room give or take yeah, everyone knows uh, ballpark what 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 people are on. Um, I wouldn't say it's a it's not necessarily a jealousy thing between players. In in my personal opinion, I would never have or come across players that would look at someone else and say, "Oh, he's earning X," and and, and I'm really jealous of it. You might go to the club and say, "Well, hang on a second, you know, look at his contribution to to what the to to his to the team. You know, um, I, I I feel I contribute more. I play more. I I I'm kind of one of your better players." So, you know, I need to be brought in line. So you, you guys have put a pay structure in place and, you know, the going rate for, for this is X amount of money and I want to be on it. Um, it'll be very, very difficult for Ten Hag to to enforce that because as soon as you have won, and I, I'm led to believe that Casemiro and Varane, and I think there's a host of players that are on well over 300. Um, I think Casemiro and Varane are, are, are up there. Um, David Hay obviously Funny, actually, I, mean, it's subject, I need to double check it that now that you say it, that it jogged in my mind because I was surprised the piece yesterday said they've more pitched in around the 200 mark which surprised me I thought they would have been able to up that but I, I don't know I don't think Cas- Casemiro got an, an outrageous deal again like uh, without knowing it and yeah. you have to factor in what their basic salary is and versus uh, you know if, if, if Casemiro plays every week they win and they win a trophy it might even out at, 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 at say, 350 a week. Something. I just did a quick Google. Casemiro, 10 million a year, so that's about 200 a week. Okay, that's, yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I, 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad thing anyway. Again, it's hard to get into that discussion because you don't actually know what players are earning and how much um, they're getting paid as a base salary. So, yeah. you know, the likes of Phil Jones, who doesn't play anymore, is, is on a, a, an outrageous base salary. Mm. Um, so he doesn't even have to, you know, as long as he shows up on time, he's getting paid. Um, so uh, it's difficult, but I don't think it's a bad thing. I think, you know, the dressing room culture thing, probably about right it'll be difficult to enforce because you're not going to attract the top 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 players you know now that Manchester United well for instance Marcus Rashford contract expires 2024 Mm -hmm. I mean as a free agent he can absolutely get more than 200k a week so that's where it does get uh, tricky presumably but I I can see in the dressing room if David is getting 375 other players are thinking come on well, absolutely, and I think that was a problem with Dean Henderson. You know, he was he was kind of saying like, I'm, "I'm I'm backup goalkeeper, and I've played a few games, and he was up for a new contract, and then they offer him like less than 100." He's kind of going, "There can't be that disparity." You know, yeah. the club sets the 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 framework for the the pay structure, and in and and if, if you're honest and you're fair, a lot of players will go in and say to the club, "Hey, look, you know, I'm not saying I want to be on what David Hay is on, but if David De Gea, Varane, and Casemiro are on this, and I know I'm not in their bracket, but I'm." just on their coattails, so I want to be in at like 250, mm. right? Which is a legitimate thing to do because the club can't then say to you, oh, by the way, no, you're only getting 100. I say only, like, but, you know, in comparison yeah. to, to 375. And then you kind of go, well, I'm not signing for that when the club are willing to pay out this money. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a difficult situation. You know, I wonder how much of it is the club kind of lowering fans' expectations of signings because, you know, Man United are always linked with lots of players and they always end up with a Nagalo or a Falco or a... Veg horse or something like that. So, look, the Glazers obviously aren't going to spend money, mm. and I think that's kind of their way of saying, look, any of you guys think we're signing Joe Felix on X amount of money? You know, it's not happening. You mentioned Veghorst there, so Ved Veghorst, thirty years of age. He is six foot six. Uh, he had a stint with Burnley. I suppose that's where most uh, listeners yeah. would have seen him most consistently, and he managed two goals in twenty Premier League games. Uh, he has since gone back out on loan to Besiktas, where he has resumed his scoring average for much of his career, which is about a goal every other game. 230 mm. games, 115 goals. So that's in Holland, that's in Germany, and now with Besiktas. He's managed about a goal every other game. And yet in this one spell in England, he had two goals in 20. So yeah. what's your sense of uh, Veghurst at 30 and, and Manchester United's interest? Well, I suppose when he went to, when he went to Burnley you would have thought that he would have fitted in well there with the way that Burnley play. Crossing yeah. the box, long balls, he'll play to his strengths. Um, he can't, I won't say he can't, but he's not very good at linking the play. He's not going to run in behind. He's not going to bully centre-halves. He's got a particular skill set. Um, and that is, he's obviously six foot six. He can head a ball. He can finish if you get him in the right areas. But he's not mobile. He's not going to work a back four. He's not going to, you know, back into centre-backs and roll them and run down the sides of them. Um a lot of that could be stopped at source. You know, if you're trying to stop crosses, trying to stop balls being played forward, our Manchester United is going to lump crosses in the ball in the box now from from pretty much anywhere. You know, so I think his his ratio is is because teams have him in in in, in their side and they play to his strengths. Um, so I'll be interested to see where they fit in. It just, I mean, my honest opinion is just smacks of Manchester United again. You know, promising a Joe Felix. And then we get a Vukovic horse, and then you know what I mean. And then and then the, the the Man United PR spin machine goes into overdrive, and the Twitter accounts are out selling this guy as if like this is a really good thing. Like a Gallo, 
you know, I mean, I remember when, when the Gallo signed, I remember thinking, really? And I actually found myself going, no, this this is because, you know, obviously the, the, the PR and the spin that goes into it, that this is a good signing. And it's not. Like, you know, for a club like Manchester United that want to get back to where they're going, if it's a short-term thing, which it obviously is because he's coming in unknown, they can't get anybody else. They need a centre-forward. They've got rid of Ronaldo. They need a body in the building. Um, I suppose from a plus side from Manchester United point of view, or from the fans' point of view, I would imagine if someone's trying to buy the club that that somebody's doing their due diligence at the moment, you know, and you know, obviously all the taps have been turned off with regards to signings because you know you can't be signing 150, 200 million pound worth of player if if the club is is on the due diligence, you know, somebody's wanting to buy it, and there are rumours that the club is up for sale or being put up for sale. So from a, from that point of view, you could live with it. Um, but like you see it, and you're just like, no, this, you know, to quote, to quote, you know, this is Manchester United, um, yeah. and Voot Veghorst is being sold, and then you go online, and, and it seems to be like this is a good thing. You're like, it's not. Please stop telling me it's a good thing. It's not. Mm. He's six foot six. He's a target man. This is Manchester United. Yes, because I think at the moment there is a backlash to the initial uh, sense people had, which is your sense that yeah, Voot Veghorst, no. And now we're at the stage where people are saying, well, actually, hang on. Very good player. That's a PR machine. That's yeah. a PR machine going into overdrive. Manchester United, you know, it won't be long before a few ex-players will come out and do a few spin pieces that this is a good thing and look at his record. And the fans will go, oh, well, actually, I will give it a go. You know, the way Gallo was. He was a Man United fan. That was the line that was spun with him. And Falco came in. And I know I'm missing a few here. Man United have been on this road before with, like, centre-forwards that, like, were nowhere near the calibre of, of what Man United should be looking at. Mm. But for some reason, we were told that that that, that they were, you know, um, you know, an old ageing player or in Ibrahimovic. who did reasonably well at Manchester United. Manchester United need, you know, a Haaland, yeah. you know, to come in the door, put the club on his shoulders for the next five or six years and just carry them where they need to be, like Ferguson used to do. Well, not for 200 grand a week, I think, is <laughs> their other issue. Yeah, uh, yeah. Give us your thoughts on this Luke Shaw development at centre-back played there against Nottingham Forest and Wolves and initially there was a needs must quality yeah. because Lissandra Martinez was with Argentina and Lindelof was injured and Harry Maguire I think initially had uh, was coming back from the flu but then yeah. Shaw seemed to do quite well and it's now continued Nottingham Forest Wolves and now Everton he played alongside Rafa Varane yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if it lasts much longer. I mean, I know Harry Maguire was on the bench, even though he was over his, his illness. Um, look, as a as a short-term thing, a, a guy can slide in and, and, and kind of pick up the slack and get the job done for a number of games. But, you know, as they start getting into Europa League games against Barcelona and stuff, um, you know, they probably need him at left-back, to be honest with you, because the alternative of, 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 of him at left-back is, is Malassia. But... Um, I'm pretty sure once Martinez and Varane are fit, they will be the first choice centre back pairing. Um, the fact that he's playing him over Harry Maguire, I mean that I think that pretty much signals the end um, for Harry Maguire. Really, that he's playing Luke Shaw centre back ahead of him. Um, so look, I, I, I can't see it lasting. To be yeah. honest, it's a needs must thing. But like sooner or later, people are going to start, you know, putting United under the type of pressure. Like if Man United were playing Liverpool tomorrow, would they play Luke Shaw centre back? Absolutely not. Yeah. But in the games you mentioned, you can kind of get away with it. But when Man United come under serious pressure and his decision-making is going to be seriously tested, then um, you need a centre-back playing in that position. And I think Manchester United are a better team with Luke Shaw playing at left-back anyway. Demoralising in the extreme for Maguire as well. Yeah, it's, it's pretty low, man. Um, I, had it, I had it myself. You know, it's kind of when you know I was 36. Like, So you kind of know the end is, 
is is nigh there. You know, when a manager puts a, a central midfield player in centre back and you're on the bench and you're kind of going, well, that's that's you know, <laughs> if, if you're honest, you kind of go, well, that's it. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. The manager doesn't need to say anything. He's did it with his team selection. You know, it's it's over for you there. Um, but I know the the first game there was talk of an illness and then again it followed through to Wolves then the following Harry Maguire is available so um, I think it's the death knell for Harry Maguire now I think it's, he, if I was him I'd be talking to his agent and say look I need to move on here I can't have Luke Shaw playing centre back ahead of me I need to go mm. um, and I think that would probably be best for Harry Maguire as well because you know he's been through so much in the Manchester United shirt he's had such a tough time and I can't imagine the, the pressure he's been under mentally to deal with that. And I just, I'm not sure there's any way back for him. Plus, I think Man United are starting to get into a bit of a, a bit of a rhythm now where they're starting to look at a half-decent team. Um, and I just don't see how Maguire fitting back in. Yeah. Uh, final point on United, on the half-decent team thing. So, uh, Ten Hag's record increasingly good. They've won, I think, 14 of 17 matches. Uh, we, I, I think, to be fair to him, after a very shaky start, mm. this guy looks to be made of the right stuff, No. Yeah, absolutely. I think he is. I think he's a, he's he's an incredible uh, coach. What he's done, um, I think he probably came in and was trying to get the feel of of where they were at for the first two games, and then he just. I think that was like the, the watershed moment for him where he went, "Okay, um, I, I need to do things my way." And if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail my way. I'm not going to, you know, mm. bow down to anybody or do what anybody wants. I'm doing it my way. And he's took hold of that changing room, and um, and he looks like he's enforced discipline. The Rashford decision last week worked out beautifully for him when he overslept and he dropped him. You know, but that's a team rule where everybody knows that. Now, you're not expecting somebody of the magnitude of of, uh, of of Rashford to do that. You know, when you look in every changing room, there's always kind of rules brought in. But realistically, the rules are brought in for two or three players. You know what I mean? Who are sloppy and a bit lazy. You bring in these rules, hoping that like you know it'll snap these guys into action. But then when your senior players break those rules, now it puts the manager in an incredible spot. You know what I mean? You're the most formed player. But fair play to him. He stuck to his guns. And he had to because, you know, if he'd have made an exception for Marcus Rashford, then all of a sudden it's anarchy. The, the lunatics are running the asylum again, which which I um, I believe was what happening under the previous regime. You know, there was no discipline. Anyone could do whatever they wanted. But as soon as you drop Rashford, it's a statement that goes out there to the players that nobody is above um, above the manager's discipline, which is which is quite correct. So he's first of all, he's instilled discipline. He's worked out the midfield issues with with Casemiro. I had my doubts about that signing, um, but he's turned out to be an incredible addition, um, and has allowed Manchester United to release into almost a single pivot and give Eriksen a bit more freedom to dominate the ball, and then you can fit Bruno in as well. So you and me spoke for many years, Joe, about the, the the double pivot of Fred and McTominay and obviously they've kind of gotten away from that now and they look a much better team. Mm. Um, obviously, I still have huge doubts over the, the, the length of contract that Casemiro was given and how much is, um, is still left in his legs. You know, you might get another year out of him. You might even get maybe 18 months. Mm. Um, but like he's there, what you say, a five-year deal or something along those lines? Yeah, it's a good deal. Better than expected though, you'd have to say very good start. Oh, he's an incredible star. He's been brilliant. He's been absolutely fantastic. And I think he's been the the kind of the, the linchpin that Manchester United have have kind of sprung off really or used because he's just kept the back door shut. Mm. And Martinez coming in at centre back as well has been huge because he's able to deal with with his situation and and and, and that old way of, you know, two central midfield players, Fred McTominay, Harry Maguire dropping off. That's no no longer. You watch two Man United centre backs, they go all the way in. Yeah. And some sometimes they're watching Sandra Martinez and not only will he go all the way in, he'll actually go across the face of Varan. Um mm. Following a cent, like so, that's how almost man to man they are. Yes, um, and they trust that, like, if they somebody exploits that space and he leaves Varane or or Malassia Shaw more well enough to 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 
to deal with it. So it's a much better system. It's a much better setup. They're much more on the front foot. Mm. Tactically, they're really, really good. His in-game decisions are pretty good. When you watch him, there's nothing you're kind of going, oh, that was a bit strange. Um, and he's, he's, he's the guy. But again, Man United have problems because there'll be a ceiling of how much he can do what he has, you know. Mm. Um, you gave this guy a, a, a serious budget, maybe the budget that other managers have had over the last number of years. I know Solskjaer spent a lot of money one summer, the likes of Wan-Bissaka, Maguire and stuff. If you were to give Ten Hag that over the next two or three windows, I think he, he could build a squad or a team that are capable of getting challenging, seriously challenging for the Premier League and, and, and getting back in the Champions League and getting into knockout stages and looking like a, a team that belong in that environment. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I like him. I, I like watching Manchester United now. Okay. He had comments, by the way, all over the front pages uh, yesterday, which tally with everything you've said. And I think he was confident enough to say this publicly now because he feels removed from where he was at the start of the season in a good way. So he said on his arrival, there was no spirit. It's quite open for a manager. There was no mm. spirit. I saw no team dynamic in the squad. The mental resilience very low. I even saw it as an outsider and I noticed it in my first weeks at the club. I looked at the culture of the club and I asked, how did Manchester United become great? The club uh, bought an unimaginable number of players in recent years who have not been good enough. Most purchases have been average and that United average is not good enough. So that was mm. his uh, that was his take after the Everton game. Uh, very short break. I do want to ask you about the Graham Potter situation at Chelsea. Damien Delaney staying with us on the football show. Brought to you by Sky. Watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. Back in one moment. OTB Sports Rugby. Some of the hype around Jack Crowley has been premature. He's played pretty well, but having him as the second coming of Christ seems to be a little bit aggressive. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky, the Premier League is back. Watch every live game for the rest of the season on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. You're very welcome back. This is the football show. We have the doyen of over 35's football, Damien Delaney, on the line. We have talked Manchester United. Uh, Graham Potter and Chelsea of interest at the moment, beaten by Manchester City again. I mean, I, I, the last thing with this injury crisis he has wanted are, are so many games against Man City. It's been a tough-ish fixture list. Just to give you, by the way, I saw in the uh, papers yesterday, they had, they had done up a graphic that basically uh, Chelsea's injury list they're about one centre half injury away from having an injured team that could do very very well in the league so at the moment they could have Mendy in goal they could have Reese James right back Chilwell left back Fofana centre half and another centre half they could have Kante Loftus-Cheek Mason Mount across midfield they could have Sterling and Pulisic supporting Broja so that's what he's missing that would be the very charitable interpretation of why things are going so badly at the moment Obviously, um, there was a less charitable uh, version. The really interesting thing with uh, Graham Potter is when he was given the job, all the briefings from the Todd Bowley-led Chelsea were that, oh, you may think we've sacked Tuchel because we're maintaining the Abramovich ruthlessness and, and, you know, any kind of dip and we sacked the manager and that's been the Chelsea way and we're going to continue that. But that is not what we're doing here. They said, Graham Potter, we picked him because... Everything points to him being a long-term manager, uh, a very holistic approach. He'll unite the club from academy right the way through to senior team. And they were explicit to journalists and saying, no matter how bad this gets, this guy is here for the long haul and he is going to build something for us. I don't think they anticipated getting this rocky, however. 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting um, what's happening at Chelsea right now. You know, I think, you know, Bramvich was absolutely ruthless in what he did, but there was a reason why Chelsea won, I think Chelsea won the most number of trophies since 2002, um, when Bramvich took over out of all the English teams, and they've been the most successful um, by a distance as well, I think. So, um, when you make decisions like that, you have to make make the 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 successor has to be successful. Um, and that's what Bramwich always did. You know, he was absolutely ruthless getting rid of managers that maybe the fans didn't. But they were soon forgotten because the guy that came in absolutely took the club on and on. And the club was continuously barreling forward um, at breakneck pace. And that's what Chelsea were always about. They very rarely had lulls, which you remember. If and, ever there was a oh, lull. And sorry to interrupt. An interesting uh, point to make on that Abramovich era is the rate at which he got rid of managers and I suppose players as well and, and some of the money he spent on, on iffy enough purchases here and there. Like what would often be said around uh, Abramovich and his strike weight with managers was, oh, well, you can't run a football club this way. You know, like the, the received wisdom is you got to give manager time. That's how you run yeah. a football club. And actually, he must have been sitting there across the 20 years saying, have you not seen yeah, how it's absolutely. worked? Absolutely. And I, I always thought that, you know, and people always say it's not fair. He's ruining the game. And they're going, it's his club and he wants to be successful. And if you're not giving him success, and one thing no manager could ever say about Abramovich is they weren't backed in the transfer window. Mm. He, he backed every manager, gave every manager, every player they wanted. And he probably, the first meeting he had with them, he said, look, you're going to get what you want, but I want what I want in return as well. Yeah. So if you give it to me, you are gone. And I think you took that job knowing that you were, you know, getting into bed with a, a, a lion, so to speak, that, you know, any false move and you are gone. So, um, And now, ironically, Chelsea are trying to do it, quote unquote, the right way. Well, I think they're, they're buying themselves time. I mean, there is an element of like, you know, we sacked Tuchel and then we've made an absolute hames of his successor. Um, and if we sack him, no, we don't look good. <laughs> so we need to just stick at this um, and give and as much time. Do you think they've made a hames with the Potter no, decision? I don't. I don't think they've made a hames of it, really. I just think that like the, the relentless nature. I mean, you look Chelsea's list of managers. It was a who's who. You know, everyone from like, remember uh, Scolari was in there and all at yeah. one stage. Like, I mean, a guy who just won the world, had won the World Cup in, in 2002, I think. You know, so, you know, he went and got the best manager available and he didn't care. Um, and they've gone and got Graham Potter, you know, and ultimately Todd Bowley and, and his team that he's got in there with, they're investment bankers, I think, from what I know, or mm. they're hedge yeah. fund guys. And hedge funds are like making money. Um, you know, so if Chelsea starts losing money, all of a sudden, now there is going to be a huge issue. At least with Abramovich, if they started losing money, well, it was only his money that he was losing. Um, so uh, it remains to be seen, and it'll be interesting to see whether Todd Bowley takes responsibility because Chelsea being tenth in the league uh, with that injury list um, still isn't acceptable. To be honest with you, you know, you look at some of the games they've dropped points in. I think it dropped points at Brentford, Newcastle, off the top of my head there. Um, and then obviously recently they've they've dropped a whole host of points like to Nottingham Forest and stuff. So um, I think Chelsea still have a good enough squad to be higher than 10th in the league, and they should be. So you are, like I always say about any manager, what have you got available to you? Are you getting the most out of it? Is Graham Potter getting the most out of what he has available to him? Probably not. So it's going to be up to him now to fashion some way of getting results and getting within striking distance of the top four because Chelsea going out of the FA Cup there at the weekend, I think they're out of the League Cup from right and saying, I know they're in the Champions League. They don't look like they're going to do much damage in that. So their season could effectively be over in the next few weeks, um, which is absolutely unacceptable. Um, and Abramovich wouldn't have stood for this. You know, if Abramovich did decide to put Graham Potter in charge, I'm pretty sure now Graham Potter would be 
petrified every time his phone rang that he wasn't being <laughs> summoned to go to to, to see Abramovich. Oh, you know? As if Abramovich didn't even see him. Like, uh, that, that'd be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, on, so I said like the charitable view on Potter is that the injury list is catastrophic and the fixture list has been tough. And I, yeah. I think there's real merit in that. The less charitable uh, version of events, this is his first time stepping up to working at a club of this level mm-hmm. with players of this stature. I don't really know where to go with it because we're not on the inside. Certainly what's always said about Potter is tactically he's very astute, knows the game, understands the yeah. game, sets his team up in an in interesting way. So if there is a, a quote-unquote issue there, a weakness there, one thing that's been raised is almost his demeanour, his stature, that... Uh, you know, you would have worked with the likes of Trapattoni, um, even, I guess, Roy Keane, Holloway, uh, Allardyce, uh, Roy Hodgson in his own way. Uh, you, uh, there's a certain uh, demeanour almost that these yeah. top managers at these top clubs seem to have. An aura, an aura. I think it's an aura. It's the reason you could see no wrong in Jose Mourinho. No matter how bad it got, you just adored yeah. the man. And it's because he had that sort of, I don't know, is it an alpha quality or something? Yeah. And and again, this this veers into slightly unfair territory on Potter, but he, he doesn't look like a commanding presence. And mm. these big clubs often have a commanding presence. I'm curious for your thoughts on that. And we are both from afar here. Yeah, like, I mean, look, he, he does have that degree in what is it, behavioural something or other, you know. From see, that's my point. Footballers don't yeah. give a damn about that stuff. I know, but you see, I, what was interesting, I saw a lot of interviews the week leading up, the, after the Forest game, I think, and I'd say there was five or six players came out and were like publicly saying, oh, we love him, he's great. So he obviously has a very good way. I'm always sure that's a great thing when players are coming out saying we love the manager because it basically means that like they're enjoying themselves, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying players shouldn't enjoy themselves, but I'm sure players need to feel under pressure from a manager pretty much all the time. You know what right. I mean? Every train, every training session, I need to be, you know, going in there thinking that I'm being judged. And, and if I don't do well today, I'm not going to play on the weekend and geez, he might sell me in January. You're right. So that's what you're talking about there is a lot of those managers had that all in very different ways, but all those managers that I played for always put you under pressure in a certain way. Mm. Um, obviously, Graham Potter is very, very good at handling players um, and motivating players and tactically as well. But I think he's just been thrown in the deep end. He's had a huge injury list. He probably can't implement what he wants to implement and he's floundering for a system or a way of playing that gets the most out of what he has. And he's scrambling around in the dark a little bit trying to find something. Now, the difference between working at Chelsea and working at Brighton is when he went through these spells at Brighton and he did go through them, it all kind of went unnoticed, you know, with the exception of maybe a handful of fans at the club that you're at who are like raging because they're losing games of football. Yeah. Um, doing this at Chelsea when you're kind of throwing darts in the dark, so to speak, like, you know, it's in the public domain and everybody's going to be judging you while you're doing it. And then the pressure is even more intense. And when you come under more pressure, your decision making gets a little bit more skewed. Um, so look it's a difficult spot for him I hope he comes out of it I want him to do well because he's an underdog isn't he like he, he you know to all intents and purposes you know people like Graham Potter who was you know coaching at Hull University 12 years ago mm. wherever it was shouldn't be manager at Chelsea um, but he's got there and he's got there on merit he deserved it for everything that he did and he you know some of his Brighton teams you know they played some fantastic stuff I want him to do well I, I really really do and, yeah. I, and I, I kind of I will him almost on a weekend, you know, just, in a, you know, against Man City there in the FA Cup, I was thinking, all right, get beat, but don't get hammered, you know what I mean? Put in a performance. Mm. Um, but they just look a bit powder puff at the moment. They're really, really light in the middle of the park. They look very, very, um, 
very weak with Havertz up front. There's no real presence in the middle of the park. I know Kovacic is there and Jorginho is there, but they're not really presence in, so, in terms of the physical side of a Conor Gallagher kind of it's like a, a wasp that just kind of buzzes around the pitch but never really does any damage if you know yes. um, you yes. know so they, they're very good players but like in terms of imposing themselves on the game Havertz the same little kind of darting runs here and there moments of magic a nice pass or a fancy moment in an unnecessary time where yeah. like you could have just passed it but you did something a little bit you know um, like you would over 35 so I understand yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. a bit something self-indulgent so like you know they're just lacking that at the minute and Koulibaly who you're kind of hoping would be that really strong presence he just seems to be all over the place at the moment doesn't know whether he's coming or going um, I can't seem to find his mm. groove or his kind of niche in that Chelsea squad Um but when you look at it on paper, it's a very, very lightweight squad. Now, on top of that, you know, he's developing young kids. Um, but I think he's going to be given time because, as I said, only about a bunch of Oh, absolutely. Because if, if Todd Bowley sacks him, no, it makes him look bad. I guess it does. I, I, maybe the intangible is to what extent the fans revolt and how toxic it gets around the club. Sometimes that can swing it. So we'll watch yeah. that space. They were singing Tuchel's name, which was interesting uh, yesterday. Uh, Gareth Bale's retired. I know. With immediate uh, effect, I uh, he says after... He's 33 years old. 33, yeah. Gareth Bale, yeah. I know. After careful and thoughtful consideration, I announced my immediate retirement from club and international football. And uh, on the statement goes, and I guess, you know, yes, 33. He has played 17 seasons because he burst onto the scene so young. He has won 17 trophies and often was decisive in the biggest games on the planet and did extraordinary things yeah. with Wales and, and hit a super high level. Yeah. And yet there will be the sense of unfulfilled potential about this guy's career uh, largely I think through injuries and a touch through attitude I wouldn't be surprised now that he's retired if we see an interview in the next couple of days sits down and he reveals the extent to which his body was betraying him because that for me has been the only issue which explains what's happened here and I'm right in saying this is unfulfilled and it's a bloody amazing career right it's so hard to to, to kind of square away those two statements like unfulfilled 17 trophies 17 trophies <laughs> and he scored one of the best, if not the best, Champions League goals, that overhead kick I know. from the edge of the box. I mean, listen, you're right, but I just think that, you know, he set the bar that night that he absolutely tore Mike on asunder mm. at the San Siro and everyone just went, oh my God, this is like, you know, that's messy type territory if you can produce that for the next 10 years. And I think everyone expected him to to do that. He didn't. And I think at the end of his time, I know he, what did he get five Champions League at Real Madrid yeah. or five, like, how many of them did he start in, even though he came off the bench and scored? You just expected him to be front and centre, like a Benzema or a Modric. You wanted a team, you know, to be one of the mainstays or the pillars of that team. And he wasn't. He just seemed to be like kind of a, a bit bad player. Seems so harsh to say no, that. He was, he, he wasn't, he wasn't yeah. necessarily a first choice for a lot of those Champions League campaigns, even though he was decisive in the final. And there were always murmurs that Ronaldo was not the most welcoming presence. He did not want world's most expensive player in the same yeah. team as him and, and maybe Bale's character didn't find that terribly easy that, they were one of the yeah. that was one of the theories that, that I, mean, I, I think he'd, do, he'd, probably do, he'd probably do a book Gareth Bale and, and reveal what happened because it was so strange you know I think at one time he wanted to go to China and then they would let him go and he stayed and do you remember then he was sleeping on the bench and then that Wales golf Madrid flag that yeah. he had that really, really didn't endear himself. And then there was rumours that he wouldn't learn Spanish and he didn't want to speak Spanish and he upset the locals. So um, it was it was 
a bit of turmoil there, and I'm pretty sure the truth will come out because when we're reading a lot of those stories, you're kind of going, well, there's two sides to every story, and mm. Gareth Bale was probably behaving that way because he had an issue with, with the club that maybe there were some promises that went um, went by the wayside. Um, so only time will tell, but look, you, you can't dispute um, he was a tremendous player. I mean, even at Southampton as a young kid, I remember playing against him, um, 17 years of age, scored a free kick against us in the KC Stadium, like an outrageous free kick. And I think that was one of his first games as well. And then obviously watching him um, develop at Tottenham, um, he was just outstanding. Um, Champions League football, uh, he'd done, done everything. You can't complain. And I'm pretty sure he's comfortable where he's at. It's the weirdest career of all time, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. But I think once the, the, the blanks are filled in over the next year or two, mm. it'll probably add up as to why he was the way he was, the extent of his injuries and stuff, you know. And on top of that, by the way, he went out to the MLS and scored the winning goal in the in the final, <laughs> yeah. only just gone. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy scores massive goals, big goals. Um, and he has a highlight reel that he can be proud of and a trophy cabinet he can be too. And pretty sure he goes back to Wales and I've heard he's got a nine-hole golf course in his in his house in Wales. Um, absolute like USPGA standard um, golf course so um, I'm pretty that sure puts that him up in be... your estimation massively I would think well I would like to get to know him <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're willing to do that interview with him and get to know him I'm sure um, Liverpool drew two all against Wolves at Anfield and yeah. they had a very strong team Wolves rested a number of players there was the Allison mistake uh, Nathan Collins man of the match we should mention yeah. There was what we are now calling the customary Liverpool openness. It's just uh, an enduring mystery what's going on right now. Really strange. Really strange what's happening with Liverpool. Sometimes I watch them, I think they look like a team fatigued. Um, that like when you want to play the way that Liverpool want to play, you have to be fresh, you have to be full of energy. Um, and they just look a little down on themselves. Did and I see you posit the theory on TV recently on Virgin that they have that, that maybe they somehow mucked up their pre-season training um, I might have said something along those lines yeah but they've, um, had, they've had like the World Cup and they've had rest yeah. in the interim so it, it's harder to know yeah it's difficult you hear rumours and things people are saying that like he, he works them really hard even during the week in between games when they're playing twice a week their numbers are really really high in training um, and that he's um, kind of unwilling to compromise on that you know he has his way of doing it so the team looks a little bit leggy but then I think when you look at it on the tactical side and you probably have to dive into the numbers really they don't play the heavy metal brand of football um, that they used to play yeah you know it, it that that seems to be gone now Liverpool don't look like a team that would terrify you like I remember going up to Liverpool or playing against Liverpool when Klopp played that absolute like breakneck speed mm. nobody got a second you were absolutely petrified because they blew you away in the first 15 minutes. That was their thing. Get their nose in front of that 15 minutes, pummel you into ground by halftime, and then the game's done. There doesn't seem to be that now. There seems to have been a shift away from that. Um, and that heavy metal type football is like an awful lot of blind balls forward. I remember a stat when I was playing against Liverpool that they were up there at the top of the league with long balls. But obviously nobody like looked at them as long balls because Jordan Henderson is spinning a ball in over the centre-back's head and Sadio Mane is chasing it and he gets on the end of it and it's not a long ball but it's blind and it's hopeful but everybody was on the same page and, and even if the centre-back got there first you're kicking it out for a throw-in or if you took liberty it would be nicked off yeah. or if you tried to 
trying to pass to, to play your way through the press. I remember having training sessions leading up to those games and everyone was like, oh, we got to play through the press. And they're going, have you seen the press? <laughs> like, the, you know, we win the ball back and like you can hear footsteps around you and Jordan Henderson is coming and the, you haven't even got the ball yet, you know? And I'm trying to think, <laughs> where can I play this? And all of a sudden then you kind of go, you know, I'm not taking the risk and you just spin it. And all of a sudden, then it's it's a, a massive centre half and Van Dyke on the halfway line. You're centre forward, and you're like going, "Oh my God, it's relentless!" And you yeah. almost just got pummeled into submission. And I want to see that with Liverpool now. They look like a really nice team with the advent of Thiago, and I'm not sure they're cut out to be that. So they look kind of like a little bit of a hybrid of you know retaining the ball. It's very very slow. They're mm. going side to side a little bit of what Man City are doing, and I think teams now sit in against Liverpool and they kind of go they don't have the absolute quality to hurt you. And I think when you look at Mo Salah this year as well, Mo Salah thrives on that breakneck speed. You know, balls being played in behind, you know, kamikaze stuff, pinball, you know, getting on the end of things, winning the ball back, pressing, counter-pressing. It's just all a bit like crazy. But they knew what they were doing, but they just made it crazy for the opposition. And I don't see that with them, though. You know, it's into Thiago, to the left, back, back into Thiago, a little blend pass into midfield. Salah standing on the right wing. By the time he gets it, you know, the fullback is, is touched tight to him, so he can't really do anything. You know, they drop off, so the space for Salah to go into isn't quite there. Mm. Um, I would say it's more that. And I think Klopp made a conscious decision to move away from that type of football. Yes, because a, le- a less polite word for the hybrid, as you talk between that uh, the chaos and the more technical, slower football, uh, would be no man's land. They're kind mm. of they're they're neither here nor there. They're not and Man City, they and they're not yeah, what they were. They're trying to be a little bit more possession. And I think I think the game changed a couple of years ago. They played um, Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, and they went out. I think, um, and I remember working that game. And Atletico Madrid, this was peak Atletico Madrid, they just stood up to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Liverpool tried to pummel them into submission and Atletico basically just went, no, it's fine. We're happy with this. And they got involved in the chaos and they were equally as good at it and they were set up to beat Liverpool. And I think after that then, he probably thought to himself, oh, maybe we need to, you know, teams are starting to figure us out. Maybe we need to evolve, mm. be something different. And then all of a sudden, the profile of player that was coming in was different. And no, you're kind of left with um, a different profile of player. So I think when you marry up those two things, what I said, a team that looks a little bit tired, a little bit on the road for a long time. Um, so the, 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 the extra 5% um, energy, high energy isn't there. And then the change of style and do certain players suited. Is Salah suited to playing in a possession-based type team? I don't know. Um, and then obviously you look at Luis Diaz coming in. They've signed a lot of players. Nunes. Does he look capable of playing in a possession-based team? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, he looks like one that would have enjoyed the, the crash Chaos, bang wallop yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think a mixture of those two ideas, and I think they're probably just in a little bit of a tailspin at the minute, and they need to figure out which direction they're going in. Um, but they're signing players, so you know, obviously the, 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 the owner's still have faith in Klopp. Uh, dude, that was so good. So interesting. Thank you so much. No worries, mate. Appreciate it. Enjoy the football. Yeah. Give them hell out there. <laughs> Cheers, Joe, love it. Good man. Damon Delaney Thanks, uh, with us on the football show this evening. Amazing analysis. Uh, great time with us. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. Watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend, live on Sky. Football on Off the Ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports.